Welcome to Schoolhouse Equity in Education. I am your host, Allison R. Brown, Executive Director of the Communities for Just Schools Fund, or CJSF, where we provide resources and support to community-based organizations that are working to ensure equity in their schools. Go to www.cjsfund.org to subscribe to our e-newsletter. If you're tweeting, follow me at Allison R. Brown and tweet about the show with the hashtags C4JS, that's the number four, or Communities for Just Schools. Again, that's the number four. Today on Schoolhouse, we're talking about the arts. We know how important the arts and artists are to movements for social justice and to change really the nation's mind about things. I'm so thrilled to welcome Adam Levner and Brianna from Critical Exposure, an organization in Washington, D.C. that works with young people to use photography as an advocacy and organizing tool for change in their schools and communities. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Adam, what (laughs) is Critical Exposure and how many students have you impacted since you started? Critical Exposure works with low-income youth and youth of color primarily high school age, to teach them how to use photography to document barriers that they face to their education, and then to teach them organizing skills so that they can lead campaigns to improve their schools and their communities. We've worked with about 2,000 students since we were founded in 2004. So, Brianna, tell me, why is photography important to you and to the work that you're trying to do in your school and community? I've always been fascinated with photography, like I always had like a passion for photos, but I never knew how to take a good photo. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for me, I feel like photography is another way to voice your opinion. Mm -hmm. How is photography working to help you voice your opinion? It's actually working really good because like in my fellowship with Critical Exposure, Mm -hmm. we actually did a campaign about security guards in schools, Mm -hmm. in DCPS schools. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like my photos is not quite strong enough, but they can become stronger Mm -hmm. as I continue with critical exposure. And why for you were security guards an important target? In my school, Francis L. Cardozo, all our security guards are like rotated. So you never know which security guard you're going to get. Mm-hmm. and how they are behaving or, like, their actions. Like, one time when I was, like, coming to school, like, this lady, I had, like, Starbucks. I really like Starbucks. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> she threw my Starbucks cup away, and I, I didn't want to have, like, an attitude. So The security guard yeah. threw your, your Starbucks Yeah, away? so I just kept it to myself. I was like, you know what, I'm just not going to let that go. It was only a little bit left, so mm-hmm. just calm down. So I have seen it happen to a lot of people. They take perfumes, they open water bottles, they even throw out water bottles. If it's like half a bottle left, they'll Uh throw it out. Why do they say they do that? Well, if your water bottle is open, they think you're bringing in like alcohol and stuff like that. But when they smell it, it's just pure water. And they throw it away anyway? Yeah. If it's like like that much left, they'll throw it away Mm -hmm. because they don't see what's the point of you having it. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, like we need to like change that because like it, you see it happen in a lot of DCPS schools. Mm-hmm. So how has your photography worked to to change those circumstances? I feel like it worked like a lot because in my in the fellowship that I was in, 
like a lot of my friends like took a lot of photos mm -hmm. and it helped show like the difference in what people like like older people don't see mm -hmm. because they think oh it's like a nice school they just trying to protect but that's not what they're doing like mm -hmm. they're making students feel unsafe like they don't want to be in school anymore the school security yeah. officers mm -hmm. so adam brianna mentioned the fellowship that critical exposure has what what is the fellowship program and what are some of the other programs that you all offer Critical Exposure runs a few different kinds of programs. We run partner-based programs in schools or nonprofit organizations where we work with a particular group of students a couple days a week for the semester or the year. And the fellowship is our after-school program for any high school student in the city who wants to be part of it. And the school-based programs focus on issues impacting that particular school and the fellowship is really the most advanced group of students, and they work on a citywide issue. So Brianna and her peers were working on addressing issues around school security guards and trying to get more training and more accountability for them throughout D.C. public schools. Mm -hmm. So Brianna, what did you take pictures of in your school? Well, for me, I took pictures of the cameras because... We not only have security guards and police officers, we also have a bunch of cameras along with that. Security cameras. Yes. That are tracking your Every movements. Movement. Yes. And I feel like it's necessary, but at the same time, I feel like it's unnecessary because you have security guards walking around as well. So why need the extra? Like, they know the spots that don't have cameras. They mm -hmm. know that spot. But they still like to have the cameras and stuff. Mm -hmm. How many security guards are in your school? So I think there may be like 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. And how many students? There are about 300 or so students. So 11 or 12 security guards in the building. Mm -hmm. And do you know how many counselors there are? Well, there's different ones because there's one for ninth grade, one for 12th grade, and one for 11th grade because we also have a, um, we also have kids with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So I think they have a counselor too. Mm -hmm. And for the culture students, because we have students from all over come mm -hmm. to our school. So I feel like they have one counselor. So oh, would you say four total yeah. counselors or five Maybe total five, counselors yeah. That's and five. 11 security officers? Yeah. That's an interesting yeah. split, don't you think? Mm -hmm. It is because when we were doing, so I can't pronounce like the facts, I can't say statistics. There we go. <laughs> the statistics. <laughs> Well, we're um, finding out how many security guards in each of the DCPS schools. And you're looking for the data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we found out that in, um, I think Wilson has a, like a thousand students. Uh -huh. And they only have about two to three counselors. And I think 10 or 11 security guards. So Wilson is a high school on the... Yes. Upper Northwest side yes. of Washington, D.C., yes. and is in a pretty affluent neighborhood yes. in D.C. And so they have a thousand students in that building and 10 or 11 school security guards. And how many counselors there? 
three or two. Okay. The significant increase, and, and we've seen a significant increase in school security officers, school resource officers, what have you, in school buildings, especially after Columbine, but it started right before Columbine, really to, it was kind of partnered with the war on drugs. And to, you know, the idea was to protect the school environment. So you have school safety zones. And so police are really to protect the perimeters of schools. So that's when the, the increase in police presence around schools started happening. And then Columbine happened. And so, you know, we see these incidents play out in, you know, at a Columbine or a Newtown and they're horrible, horrible, tragic incidents. And what it means often is that there's this knee-jerk response that is increased police presence in schools, and that increase then is impacted mostly in communities of color. So it usually impacts on young Black and Latino students in schools, even though that's not where these incidents of aggression and violence take place. So since Columbine, the numbers of school resource officers and law enforcement in schools has just grown exponentially. So that's how we got here. Adam, I'm just wondering, from your perspective, how have you seen the students that you're interacting with, how have you seen them respond to that that increase in police presence? One of the messages that we've heard most clearly from the young people is that they feel criminalized coming into school with the presence of police officers there. And the justification is often given that it is to protect the young people, mm-hmm. but often it feels quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Brianna gave that example before. So for a lot of young people who've had negative incidents with police officers outside of school, when they come to school and those officers are in the building, it's really a, a triggering experience for them. And so their ability to feel comfortable in their school, which is generally understood to be a prerequisite for engaging in your education Mm -hmm. is not really there. And so it's really challenged a number of of the young people that we've worked with. And that's in an intangible way. Tangibly, a lot of the young people we've worked with have been arrested and suspended or expelled for pretty minor incidents, Mm -hmm. ones that in the past would have involved a trip to the principal's office perhaps, Mm -hmm. and now can result in misdemeanors and other interactions with the juvenile and criminal justice systems Mm -hmm. that start the school-to-prison pipeline uh, in a very direct way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Brianna, you were talking about the security cameras and the, you know, the constant presence of the security officers there. We've seen a lot of conversation lately about police and police in communities of color, especially, and just the police state that exists for black and brown communities in this country. And, you know, I think schools are just, they are a microcosm of what's happening in the the world more broadly. What does the environment feel like for you with 11 school security officers and cameras everywhere and they're, they're there throwing away your your Starbucks and and metal detectors too, I'm assuming. So what does the environment feel like for you? It feels like as soon as you walked into the doors, you have to put your stuff on a belt and then you can't wear no jewelry through the metal detectors. And if like, 
like girls sometimes like you know have like underwires and like sometimes they forget their earrings that are in their ears so they go through the metal detector and they want them and stuff like that i have like flats that has like uh like a metal part and so they still wand me mm. even so though they I use said, the wand yeah so after you walk through the metal detector yeah. then you have to experience the wand yeah. to make sure that there's nothing yeah additional. and i told him like it's just the shoes and he was like oh, okay so i want you though. Mm-hmm. for me it kind of feels like unsafe because it feels like oh like i'm coming into school like i'm a criminal mm-hmm. like i'm gonna be in the system one day mm-hmm. so they have this system in like the dcps and the charter schools in dc they have what's called with the students if you come late, they're going to put you on, like, this list. Mm-hmm. If you're late, like, more than 10 times, you will be recommended. You will get a letter, like, a threatening letter mm-hmm. to um, to have a court date. And you'll be on papers. So And being on papers means that you're essentially on probation. Mm-hmm. You're in the court system yes, basically. If, you have, if you're on papers. Yes. And that's for showing up late to school. Yep. And a lot of schools don't understand, like, there's kids coming from different places in D.C., so they got to understand, like, kids are going to come late, like, no matter what. But they still put them on, like, lists and stuff like that, and they'll have, like, a little box, a box meaning, like, an ankle bracelet. For showing up late. Yeah, because they're kind of, like, on house arrest or not showing up at school. But I feel like kids don't show up at school because they feel unsafe. Like they feel like the police in the school building makes them feel unsafe. So they have to come into school with like a box on their leg and they have to charge it up all the time. So there's this harsh environment mm-hmm. for uh, learning for young people. Mm-hmm. And then D.C. doesn't provide transportation, right? Public tra- So you, mm-hmm. students can access public transportation for free to get to school. Yeah. But there's no central school bus yeah. system Not for anymore. D.C. students. So if you show up late to school 10 times, then you're automatically on papers? No. They'll send a letter in the, um, to your house and just tell you that your student has been late multiple times. I'll make a scheduled meeting to see what's going on. And sometimes they don't even say meetings. They'll just give you a warning. You come late another 10 times, um, another warning. A third time, you get put on papers. Mm-hmm. You have a court date that is set for you. Mm-hmm. And you go to court and they tell you what you have to do. And you come back to school, you get a paper, and you let your teacher sign it every day. So how do you think photography can can change that? Because that, that feels to me like a real imbalance, mm-hmm. that students can't access the mm-hmm. services and supports that they need through counselors mm-hmm. and instead have security officers who are throwing away their Starbucks yeah. every day and yeah. throwing away their water and throwing away the things that they want and need mm-hmm. to nourish them through the day. So how can photography change that. I feel like photography can change, can make a bigger change because you can just take photos of anything and just say, oh yeah, there's a story behind it. But when you take pictures of like what's going on in different schools, there's like different people who can see this and like they feel like if you take more photos, they can change it somehow, get you connections to change what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Adam, how have you seen the impacts of your work? There, you've seen some real reform efforts in the city, in D.C., because of the work that the young people are doing yeah. to take pictures of their schools. What have you seen happen? Well, I think Brianna's being modest in the <laughs> work that they all did. They put together this really impressive report that included the data that they'd gotten, photos that they'd taken illustrating the presence of security guards in their schools and really laying out a platform of reforms that they wanted to see in DC schools. And they presented that to the head of school security for DCPS and the contract administrator for the Metropolitan Police Department and got them to commit to making some really significant changes in terms of helping students to have a much better sense of their, their rights, uh, which is one issue that young people identified as not being clear on what the role of security guards was supposed to be. And from the conversation, it also seemed clear that the security guards aren't necessarily clear on what their role is supposed to be or have different opinions from one another. Mm. And then also through some research that they did and working with partner organizations like the Advancement Project mm -hmm. found out about the need to not just get those kinds of reforms, but also accountability measures mm -hmm. in place. Mm -hmm. So they expanded their focus from just increasing the training to also increasing the uh, focus on accountability. And the reception was by the administrators was really positive and they invited the fellows to return to one of the meetings with the security contractor. It's mm -hmm. a $20 million contract that they provide to hire these security mm -hmm. guards. And that so the, that the school district provides to MPD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To, to the police department, to the police department, to mm -hmm. hire these officers. And the young people are influencing the way that that contract is being put together and what the requirements of it are, because it's coming up for renewal this year. Mm -hmm. So that is, I think a really significant step forward and, and addresses issues that young people have been talking about for years in DC as, and obviously all over the country. But mm -hmm. that was the most recent campaign. The first campaign that young people through critical exposure worked on was around school facilities mm -hmm. and were part of getting the DC school modernization act passed, which puts a couple hundred million dollars a year into school modernization. And so DC has some very impressive new school facilities mm -hmm. as a result of that mm -hmm. revenue. And we were part of a, a much larger effort around that, but that was the first campaign. And then since then, there have been successful youth-led campaigns around getting a library for a school that didn't have one, getting an ethnic studies class added to the curriculum of a high school where youth of color felt that they weren't being represented in the curriculum. Mm -hmm fighting to make sure that the graduation requirements for the arts weren't lessened. Mm -hmm. So maintaining the graduation requirements so that schools weren't cutting back on arts offerings. Yeah. And then a campaign also on restorative justice and getting a pilot restorative justice program and actually in Brianna's high school. Hmm. Those are some of the campaigns that the, the youth have led. I want to pause and underline what you are saying. <laughs> How long are these campaigns usually? I think they average about a year. Mm -hmm. So in a year's time, the things that you're able to accomplish 
are tremendous. I mean, the, this latest campaign for you to be able to to bring the school district together with the police, that is something that organizers take years to do just to get a meeting, but, you know, much less to get promises from them and and the promise of your participation and creation of a, con- a healthy contract. That's very exciting. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's really very, um, very impactful work. And in such a short period of time, you know, that's, that is the power of photography, right? And of the arts and the importance of that work too. So the mechanics of photography are very central to what you're learning about, Brianna, right? Mm-hmm. What have you learned about how to take a better picture? Learned so much. <laughs> so I learned like the contrast and how the photos, um, like how they contrast with each other. I learned the different lighting, and I just recently learned how to do black and white. Never knew that. How to take black and white photos? Yeah. Oh. I know how like to do the framing. How like how to frame something and not have like an outside stuff. Mm-hmm. I know how to do the lighting. Still working on the focus, but mm-hmm. I know how to do worm's eye and bird's eye view. Okay. And what is worm's eye view? Worm's eye view is when you get down on your knees and like actually take it like that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, like on the on the ground. So yeah. if the object is on the ground, yeah. you get down on the ground with it and take the picture yeah. up close. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Or you can look up. And the bird's eye view is when you look down, you stand up from, you know, for me, I'm sure. So I got to take be on the tippy toes and then like take it like that uh-huh. and get like the full picture and frame it. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And they learn how to use those techniques to tell their story more effectively. So mm-hmm. to use the worm's eye example, mm-hmm. we've had young people take worm's eye photos, as Brianna said, getting down and pointing the camera up. Mm-hmm of security officers as a way of highlighting their size and mm-hmm. power. And so it's a way to make that image more effective and more compelling. And so that's the focus that we try to have is how do you use these techniques, not to just take nicer looking photos, but mm-hmm. to take photos that get your message across in a more compelling way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. You mentioned, Adam, that you all were part of a larger effort around uh, school facilities here in D.C. How do you partner with organizations and how do you look to partner with, with organizations that are doing similar work or that have similar missions? The partnering has really been a key part of almost all of our campaigns and definitely all of our citywide campaigns. Part of it is that we don't want to reinvent the wheel and start a campaign from scratch when we know that there are people in the community who've been working on that issue for a long time. Also, we don't want to start from scratch trying to develop the expertise. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we try to bring in organizations who are experts in their field or from working on a campaign who can help us get the lay of the land and figure out how to be effective. Mm -hmm. And then we partner with groups to amplify the power, uh, we aren't a huge organization, and so being able to collaborate with partners who represent other constituencies or just more young people helps strengthen the message. And so those partnerships have been critical, particularly because, as, as you pointed out, the campaigns we run are 
not that long. <laughs> and so we also use partners to figure out where we can be most effective in a, a limited amount of time. So when you think about the long-term impacts of your work, when you do have a very kind of short time period for a campaign, a one-year campaign, for example, how do you make sure that the changes that you bring about, so when, when you think about the contract, for example, between the police and the school district, how do you make sure that those changes are sustained over the long term? And how are you using partners or working with partners to make sure that happens? It's a good question and honestly something that we're really still working on. Part of the reason that the campaigns are often limited to a year is because we work within the schools and we work within particular classes. And so the context in which we're working with the young people changes. Mm -hmm. and so that group of students won't be together again next year. Mm -hmm. So because of the short-term campaigns, the young people aren't always still in the program to be able to see through the impact and the changes and to make sure that the implementation is there. And so I think we do rely on partner organizations who are really invested around that particular issue. So for example, when we did work around restorative justice, there were a number of organizations in D.C. who have been working on restorative justice for a long time and mm -hmm. continue to. And so we rely on those organizations to help continue to carry the flag. They have mm -hmm. the flag, so we help try to move it forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that another piece of it is that we want the campaigns always to be selected by the young people mm -hmm. who are involved. And so they may not want to pick up the campaign that the prior group of students took on. And so mm -hmm. we're trying to figure out how to make sure that we're both monitoring and following through on the wins that they had and also giving enough space for young people in the program to choose what it is that they want to work on. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a balance that I think we're still working to find. Mm-hmm. That's a, a unique challenge, I think, but a good one. I mean, I think it really helps young people to plug into the issues that they've identified. So, Brianna, how would you say that we could really use the arts and how, how should we be listening better to young people who are, who are artists? If you just see their photos and if you see, like, their drawings or whatever they, whatever they decide to do, I feel like once you see it, you'll kind of, like, have, like, that emotion. Like, you want to, like, do something. It just, like, grabs you. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's, that looks really good. Like, what's the story behind it? Mm -hmm. So I feel like if you just, like, see it from their point of view. So, Adam, how can folks find you guys? What's your website and social media? How can they find you? Our website is criticalexposure.org, and we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at picture equality, and on the other platforms, it's just critical exposure, all one word. So I hope you'll, people will check out the young people's photos. As Brianna said, seeing them can really have an emotional impact and having their words and captions along with the photos helps provide that story and context. I went to the 
the gallery that you all had, which was really amazing. Are there other chances for people to see a public display of some of your work coming up soon? Yeah, we have exhibits, public exhibits every few months. And so the easiest way to keep track is to sign up for our monthly newsletter, which you can do on our website. And we publicize the exhibits that way or to follow us on social media. But we'll have exhibits coming up, one of which will be at the Smithsonian Anacostia Community Museum Mm -hmm. starting in August. And that will feature work from young people in Anacostia Mm -hmm. who were specifically working on a campaign to improve the nutrition and food of the meals in their schools. Mm -hmm. So that'll be the exhibit there. um, And that starts in August. And then we'll have some other exhibits coming up soon. Great. And for the folks listening, Anacostia is a neighborhood in Washington, D.C. It's in Southeast D.C. And it's got a whole lot of character and it's a very bright and lively place to be. Well, thank you both for joining us today on uh, Schoolhouse. We're so happy to have you and so happy to have your voices. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for including us. Adam Levner is the executive director and co-founder of Critical Exposure, and Brianna is a student member and organizer with Critical Exposure as well. Remember to check them out on the web at criticalexposure.org. On next week's episode of Schoolhouse, we're talking with Eric Mann, the founder and director of the Labor Community Strategy Center in Los Angeles, California, and Ashley Franklin, an organizer with the Community Rights Campaign also at the Labor Community Strategy Center. Thank you all for listening.